When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And what's up, everybody? Welcome in Monday episode. It is GC Live. I am Wes Mitchell, joined right now by our good buddy Colin Taylor. We'll be joined a little bit later on by Mike Yuva as well. Jam-packed show for you here today. Uh, coming off the bye week, took a couple of days uh, off from the show last week, so we're back and diving right in. This sh- show is brought to you by our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, 803-771-6933. I'll tell you all a little bit more about Clint later on. But Colin has a busy day. We've got press conferences going on. Uh, it, it has officially hit that time period where you have football going on. You have men's basketball, women's basketball tipping off. Uh, Colin, nice enough to join us. Colin, how we doing, man? We are fantastic. Coming off a good weekend where you got to sit around and watch some football instead of covering it. And um, my weekend was less less cool than yours. I didn't get to go to a World Series game, but um, fun and, and rested and ready for the Final Four and then hoops starting up. Definitely, man. So, um, obviously, you look, and uh, Frank Martin spoke today uh, a pretty good bit, went, went in depth as he always does. Um, what what were your takeaways from, from what Frank had to say today? Obviously, um, so what exhibition is right around the corner? They've already had, I guess, their, their secret scrimmage, as you call it. Um, and then, before we know it, man, I mean, th- these things always come up quick, but before we know it, the first actual real game of the season will tip off. So, uh, big picture. Uh, or I see broadly, I should say, any takeaways from Frank Martin today that, that caught your attention? Um, and obviously, the rest of you can go read about it on GamecockCenter.com. Yeah, uh, Frank, obviously very optimistic at this point in the year, is very happy with the progress he's seen made from, I mean, anytime you bring in, I think, six transfers and three freshmen to a team that lost so much, um, that's not coming off a good year. There's some trepidation. There's some worry about what it might look like. And so far, so good. Frank Martin was very pleased with the progress they've been making defensively. Um, very pleased with where things are from a gelling standpoint, from a team camaraderie standpoint. From He's very happy right now. Um, that might change in eight days after their first quote-unquote real game. Um, but we'll see. Uh, he's very, very happy with the progress. Um really really pleased he went on for a while about the freshman class and the point guard position but uh, a lot of good pieces in place uh, if you're Frank Martin right now and now it's about figuring out how they all fit together and trying to maximize as much talent as you can possibly get no doubt man so it's going to be a uh, obviously a little bit of a uh, 
not a little bit, a lot of a new look team for fans. Uh, you know, when they get out there, they watch this team for the first time. Obviously, you got, you know, your Jermaine Cousinard's back, uh, you know, your Keyshawn Bryant's, but there's going to be a long list, and they come from all different backgrounds. You've got transfers, you've got true freshmen. Um, they're going to be sort of in, incorporating them in. W- what have you thought of the way the staff has tried to sort of implement those guys into, uh, I don't know, man, for lack of a better word, like the culture of this program? Like, I, I think, you know, I, I saw – Mark was talking about how they were maybe a little bit of a, a quiet basketball team last year. And I, I think, uh, you know, Frank has talked a bit about how COVID may be just the, the way things had to be logistically made for a team that wasn't uh, all that tight knit potentially last year. And I think when things went bad, uh, you know, may, maybe, maybe that was apparent uh, for, from sort of some of the reactions of, not that it necessarily guarantees you're going to win basketball games, but um, Frank does seem very, I would say, happy with the way this team has started to come together, especially considering how many of the guys are on the court for the first time together, um, you know, starting this offseason. Yeah, and they went into this offseason knowing that there was going to be turnover. They went in knowing that they were going to have to go out and get a bunch of new faces, whether that's through the you know transfer portal, which they exploited to no end, um, through the you know freshman recruiting class, which they used. So they knew that it was going to look different, and they went out and recruited to okay, what's made us successful in the past, and that goes with physicality, on ball defense, two bigs on the floor at the same time, not just six seven forwards playing at the four and the five. They have some size again for the first time really since. You had Mike Coates and Chris Silva on the floor at the same time. They went out and and recruited to the personality of Frank Martin, to the personality of this staff, and you see that. Does that mean they're going to go out and win 20 games? No one knows at this point. Um, But they feel like they have much more of a, a, a roster that Frank Martin likes to work with. And they have more of a roster that fits the personality and, and the values of the program that they've put into place over the last six or seven years that led up to obviously them getting to a final four and, and making that tournament run. So, uh, so exhibition is this Thursday, 7 p.m. That's against Benedict. That is uh, obviously in Columbia. Then uh, you fast forward ahead next Tuesday. Wow, believe it or not, November 9th, uh, USC Upstate. Uh, that in Columbia as well on SEC Network Plus. And then after that, they're competing in the Asheville Championship. So season right around the corner, Colin. Uh, how, it, it, let's say you personally, I don't want to speak for the fan base, but what are your expectations for this team, man? Like, what what do you think is fair? I, I think, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I went into last year thinking this was going to be just at least a really solid basketball team. And... Then even as the season went on, I kept maybe saying, well, they've had all the COVID issues. Once once they gel together, a lot of times Frank's teams, there'll be sort of a moment where they they just sort of click and, and they'll get it going. And it just never quite happened. Um, what are fair expectations? I mean, you just said it. Nobody really knows. But you personally, um, what are you thinking as we go into this season? Yeah, I think I think they'll be better. Uh, absolutely, I don't. I think you don't add what you've added in terms of the transfer portal and, and fitting the style of play you want and not improve. 
Um, and let's be honest here, from a, a metric standpoint, from a win standpoint, there is plenty of room for improvement. I mean, you, they went six and 15 last year and then dealt with a bunch of COVID stuff, but I think they'll be improved to what end. Uh, I don't know yet. I don't think a lot of people do just because you have so many new faces and, and you don't know how they all fit together until the lights are on for real and you start playing real games. Um, but I, I think they will be improved. I think this will be a better defensive team. And um, I think the offense is, this will be a better shooting team than what it was last year. And then they have some pieces offensively to work with. And I think this will be more of a, a true Frank Martin kind of team where you play defense, where you get to the free throw line, um, and if they can muster up enough shooting and, and offense to go along with it, I think that they'll be, you know, you, they'll at least be on the bubble, um, for lack of a better word. It, if everything goes the way it's expected and the way that the staff hopes it does, um, you have an outside shot, you know, of, of potentially making making it into the tournament. And who knows? Uh, the SEC's good this year, and if you beat the right teams at the right time, then all of a sudden you could have a pretty good tournament resume to talk about but um do i think this will be an improved team yes do i know what expectations are it's really hard to say given the strength of this league and then the strength of the schedule that they're going to be playing this year again joined by colin taylor gamecockcentral.com he is on our promo gourmet chat line um colin uh, i'm reading right now probably no kuznar no Keyshawn bryant for the exhibition not anything for fans to be overly alarmed about more of just hey they're banged up nicked up however you want to say it if it was the regular season, uh, you know, they'd probably be out there. But that offers really an opportunity for a number of these guys to, to sort of get in there and, and, and get some time on the floor. Uh, you know, Frank's going to manage an exhibition game uh, quite differently than he would, uh, you know, a, a regular season game where you're, you're trying to just go win the game. So who are the guys – and I know it's a long list at this point, but let's say we have a – maybe a casual Gamecock fan listening or watching, and they're overwhelmed by the number of new people on this team. Uh, can we whittle it down for them a little bit? Who are the people that they're going to need to know right off the bat? Like who are, who are the kids that you're sitting there saying probably are going to need to play very well or you expect to play very well if South Carolina is going to be a good basketball team other than – the, the guys that there would already be very familiar with. So, so I'm kind of thinking along the terms of like either newcomers or guys who maybe haven't played as much in the past and, and are going to have to step up. Yeah. So it's a, it's a trio of transfers uh, in James Reese, Eric Stevenson and AJ Wilson. Uh, all three are in contention to at least at, at minimum play a very, very key role off the bench and potentially start Uh James Reese, Frank Martin even said it today that Reese has the potential to be one of the best defenders he's ever coached from. He says he has all the tools and skills that in needed uh, to be an elite defender in the SEC. And Eric Stevenson's just a, a, a winner. Uh, he's a dude that understands how to defend, understands how to play. I mean, a dude's been in college basketball probably feels like for as long as I've been alive. I think this is his fourth or fifth year. Um, in college basketball and he's just been around the block a time or two and understands how Frank Martin wants to play and, and has kind of seen it all. So those are the two from the backcourt position. And then AJ Wilson brings a, he's been likened to Chris Silva a little bit from a physicality and from a athleticism at the rim standpoint. So I would pay attention to those. He's a forward. He'll probably, 
if I'm handicapping things right now, he'd probably start at the four if we're sitting here today. Um, those are the three that are really going to be key from a newcomer perspective. And then from a freshman perspective, um, I would probably say Devin Carter, just as an elite scorer, athleticism to boot, um, very high on him from the, the staff's very high on him. Um, the outside world's very high on Devin Carter. And then from a guy maybe that fans don't know a whole lot about, I'd probably go with a, you know, Trayvon Minot um, or Minot um, came in mid-year last year. Really, I mean, he's down 30 pounds from the spring and has really reshaped his body to be able to help. I don't know if he'll start, but he's someone that can come in and give you good minutes off the bench, or at least the staff's, staff's hoping he will, at least from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, De- Devin Carter, to me, man, seems to be the guy that, uh, even as someone who does not cover basketball, that name, I feel like from the second he signed and then the second he arrived in Columbia, his name just, like, pe- people are mentioning this kid. Um not not to put like crazy expectations on him, but is he the guy of this group that you look at and say he's the one who could be like a future, you know, give him give him a couple of years in the in the system in college level, uh could be like superstar status type guy that could maybe even could, could he one day be the face of this team? Like is that is that what the upside I guess that's probably the fair way to say it. Is that what the upside of Devin Carter is from what you have heard? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is a guy that uh, even over the summer and talking to folks that they're like, hey, don't be surprised if he's not here in a couple years from in terms of going pro. I mean, he's you know, the real from everything that's been said about you know, workouts and just preseason practice. He's the real deal. And does that mean he's going to come out and average, you know, 30 points and win SEC freshman of the year? Very, 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 very early to tell. But He's a guy with with all the upside in the world, uh, a scorer at a high school, went to Brewster Prep, one of the best um, high school prep programs in the country. And even the coach up there said, he's one of the best players I've ever coached. Um, Loves to play physical, takes coaching well. He's someone that the staff is very high on, and I wouldn't be shocked that Devin Carter had a very, very big role on this team, even if he doesn't start um, early in the season. So uh, let, let's real quick, Colin, let's talk point guard. Um, you know, that, that's a spot South Carolina obviously has had their share of struggles at that position the, the last few years, I would say. Um, who's in the running there? Uh, do, do you have a feel for, like, if, if this was day one, who, who would be the guy there, or is that still uh, TBD? It's still kind of TBD at the moment. I mean, let's be honest, point guard's been the glaring issue over the last – couple years um they've really haven't had a settled point guard spot or competition really since pj dozier left you got really good minutes from jermaine kusnard at the point um in i guess that would have been 2019 but that came halfway through the year and um they haven't had a very you know solid point guard start to finish since pj dozier but Jermaine Kusnar, obviously in the running again. Frank Martin trusts him. He's in a much better place mentally than he was last year. Uh, Jacoby Wright, a top 120 kid coming out of high school, uh, freshman, who uh, will probably get some run, get some reps at the point guard position as well. Chico Carter is another one who's kind of having to be rewired a little bit from the point guard position. Uh, played a lot of the shooting guard spot at Murray State. 
Um, and then having to kind of relearn it under Frank, which is not easy. And Frank Martin even mentioned that today. Then Eric Stevenson a little bit hasn't played a lot there in the preseason, but they think he can if he needs to, um, if they're really pressed into action there. But your two guys right now, or three guys right now, are Jermaine Kusnard, Jacoby Wright, and Chico Carter. With As it sits right now, the way Frank Martin talked today, I wouldn't be shocked if Jermaine was your starting point guard early in the season. And then you see how things develop with a Chico or a, or a Jacoby uh, as the season goes along. Let's talk a little bit of women's basketball for a second here, Colin. Uh, exhibition for them today, that is, uh, let's see, uh, 7 p.m., Colonial Life Arena, doors open at 6 o'clock. No TV or radio for that, so if you want to see it, you're going to have to go check it out for yourself. Um, man, I, you know, th- there have been high expectations, obviously, for this program, Colin. Uh, for, for I mean, Dawn has built that, uh, but I don't know if they've gone into a season where the expectations are quite what they are right now. Um, I mean, is this... I mean, I feel weird even saying this. Like, is this a national championship or bust season? Like, is that even fair? I mean, it, I feel like it certainly is a Final Four or bust season. Mm-hmm. But um, have the expectations for this program and the way they have recruited, the way they finished out last year, getting just right there on the precipice of going to another national title game. I mean, dude it, – is that is that fair to say? I'll ask it like that. Is that fair to say it's national title or bust, either from an interior, like how the the girls are looking at this season, or even the, the fan base? Is it is it fair? Probably not. Um, is it the way that they've probably talked about it? Yes. Uh, is it the way the fan base is talking about it? Yes. You don't do what you did to where you're, I think, a layup away from going to a national title game and being the favorite there in the game. Um to then bringing back your entire team and rolling the number one recruiting class and improving along with that to not think that you're going to win a national title. I mean, this is final four bust. Absolutely. And I, the talk now becomes not, can they win a national title? It's can you go undefeated? Can you beat every team on the schedule? Are you one of the best college women's college basketball teams or college basketball teams period over the last five or six years? Um, but this team has talent. I mean, just an insane, insane amount of talent. And it would be a shock to me if they weren't at least playing for a national title this year as we sit here in the beginning of November and the season set to start unofficially tonight. Um, and I think we're going to look back on this team in you know, five or six years and realize just how much WNBA talent and Team USA talent you had in Columbia, South Carolina during this 2021-2022 season. Yeah, and on paper, I mean, the most talented team, I think, in pretty clearly in South Carolina women's basketball history. And that's just a, that's a lot to live up to, man. And as we know, um, you can have – you can have going undefeated is just – you can have one off night. And, she, you know, they have scheduled – like, th- this schedule is incredible. So, there's okay. no backing down. I, I don't feel like they built the schedule to say, oh, we want to go undefeated. They built the schedule to be ready – when uh, tournament time comes to go win a national championship. So undefeated would be awesome. It'd be amazing to be in that rest record book for, for that program. But obviously the goal is to go win it all. Colin, I know you got to get out of here, man. We appreciate the time as always. We'll let you get rolling and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Appreciate it. Go Braves.
<laughs> Whoa, okay, yeah, good you're race. All right, you're, you're welcome for that one. You're welcome for that. Took, took me off guard by that. There it is. Hey, um, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks, man. Uh, hopefully, we pull it out in game six. Um, <laughs> I don't think Atlanta fans can handle another game seven in, in Houston. So, yeah, my sleep schedule cannot handle it either, to be honest with you. So, uh, yeah. yeah, man, hopefully, we can get it. All right, dude, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Hey, take it easy, bud. Yep. Colin Taylor, GamecockCentral.com. Uh, appreciate him joining us. And uh, again, we'll be joined very shortly by our buddy Mike Yuva, who's going to come on and, and talk a little bit of football. Maybe talk some basketball with Mike as well. I know he, Mike does a little bit of everything, covers uh, football, obviously, and, and then some basketball as well, both men and women. So I want to get his take with basketball season. Starting, as I promised, I'm going to tell you all a little bit more about Clint Hammond as we wait on Mike. Clint is the presenting sponsor of GC Live. He is the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network. His NMLS number is 71597. Email address is the letter C, Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com. Several ways for you to contact him, 803-576-4450, 803-422-6797 as well. Again, if you're in the market for a new home, you don't obviously, uh, if, you, if you're not in the market, then there's no reason for you to call Clint. All we ask is that if you are possibly in that market to give Clint a chance to earn your business, go check him out. If you're in that market or if you just want to see what your options are to maybe save a little bit of money and uh, put yourself in a situation where you can save on that mortgage payment, maybe refinance. Uh, Clint is your guy. Again, clinthammond.com for more information. And we appreciate Clint being our primary presenting sponsor right here on GC Live. You see his name above my head every single day. Some quick football updates. And by the way, if y'all have, if you're, if you're on the YouTube version of the show or Facebook version, uh, we're live every single day, pretty much every single day. We do take a few days off every now and then, but for the most part, every single day, 2 o'clock, you can put your questions in the comment section, and uh, it is free to watch uh, video version of the show on those platforms. We appreciate that. And you can, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube or subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. Shane Beamer speaking on Sunday on his teleconference, fresh off the bye week. South Carolina players actually got the weekend off, got a chance to go back home. They basically got from Thursday morning on, uh, they had a, a quick lift on Thursday, but they got pretty much most of Thursday, Friday, Saturday off. They got to go home if they wanted to, back practicing, uh, doing a little bit on Monday, excuse me, a little bit on Sunday, Monday off, and then back to the grind on Tuesday. Beamer with a quick injury update on Sunday said Jalen Dickerson, the safety, is doubtful for this week. Doesn't look like he will play against Florida. Um, Zeb Nolan was limited on Sunday, did actually practice a little bit, but uh, was unable to go. If he is not uh, the starter, obviously, uh, Beamer said they have confidence in Jason Brown, Colton Gothier, or Connor Jordan to go out there. Uh, you know, a, another one of these situations where it, it doesn't sound like South Carolina is necessarily uh, in the mood to go ahead and announce a starter. They'll wait and see. You know, Beamer did mention, he did say this, that that Nolan – um, or, or quarterbacks in general, I guess, is probably the more accurate way to say it, that he does not like the idea of sending a quarterback out there if he has not practiced much this week. So Nolan uh, limited on Sunday. The team has Monday off from team activities other than like rehab and stuff like that. So really, you're looking these next couple of days. I would say by Wednesday, internally, you're going to have a pretty good idea whether you announce it or not, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what direction you're going at the quarterback position. And 
I tend to still think you're, this is probably when Jason Brown is going to get his opportunity. I, I think we'll we'll be able to get a little bit more information on that as the week goes on. We'll probably have a pretty good idea of who's going to get their chance to, to go start. But my guess, as we sit here right now, Monday afternoon, I said it middle of last week as well, I would lean towards Jason Brown getting his opportunity to, to start for the first time. Um, you know, and I, I think knowing internally what direction you're going to go gives you an opportunity to get the guy, um, in this case, Jason Brown, but whoever it, it may be, those first-team reps. I, I think getting as many first-team reps as possible is uh, is just key to, to feeling comfortable going into the game and, and kind of, I mean, it's, it is hard y'all for, for a quarterback to, to have the timing in place with his wide receivers and tight ends and running backs. If he's working with the, uh, the second team. Uh, so I, I think getting, getting a number of first team reps all last week in practice going into this week, getting first team reps. Now I will say this, this is the caveat. Jason Brown has got to practice well this week. I think the one thing that could maybe throw that off will be if he gets this opportunity and then they just do not feel comfortable with him going because he doesn't practice well this week. So that that's sort of the caveat to all that. You've got to go into the game. You know, we're not at practice um, as fans, as media, as whoever. We're not at practice. So we can sit here and assume. We can all say on the surface – Jason Brown should get his chance. This should be his opportunity. We're probably, that's probably true. I agree with that thought process, but he's still got to go earn it, right? He's got to play well in practice leading up to it. Um, you know, that there was, y- y'all remember last year when South Carolina opened up the quarterback competition and it looked like Ryan Helensky w- was going to get an opportunity to start and just, um, from from everything I heard, did not practice well at all that week of practice leading into the Ole Miss game, and didn't just just the staff felt like they couldn't put him on the field. They felt like they could not start him. So you know, I, I think if you get that opportunity, what I'm trying to say is, if you get that opportunity, if you're Jason Brown, you have to take advantage of it and make sure your teammates, make sure the coaching staff. Um, has a chance to feel comfortable uh, with, with you going out there. We're going to be joined now. Um, the sun is shining on our buddy Mike Uva. We're going to bring him in right now. He is uh, he is on brand today, rocking the Bojangles hat. Mikey, how are we doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Yeah, I uh, got a little North Carolina sun on my neck, so I'm probably going to have a nice little sunburn afterwards, but it's all right. That means we're da- back down the Carolinas. The weather is beautiful here. Yeah, looks like uh, looks like perfect, man. Like you're in the perfect setting. Uh, the it, the sun is shining directly on you, man. Looks great. Uh, beautiful day out. Let Let's talk some bye week, man. Uh, obviously, that that's a time when teams want to get back to fundamentals a little bit. They want to self scout a little bit. Um, I, I know you were on the teleconference yesterday, Mike. You uh, you asked a question for for Shane Beamer as well. Um, what what were your maybe takeaways, if anything, from uh, either what you've heard going on during the bye week or just from what Shane Beamer had to say on that Sunday teleconference last night, man. I mean, it's pretty much standard, which is that bye week is very similar to how you approach fall training camp, right? You know, you're heading into the season, you're 
worrying about yourself more than anything else. You're not necessarily worrying about an opponent. Um, and yes, you do have extra time to be able to prepare for Florida, but at the same time too, this extra week more than anything, especially with what we've seen from some of the struggles that South Carolina has had this year, being able to go back and correct some of the things that they've had issues internally, uh, couldn't come at a better time and just being able to address some of those things because, you know, they are four and four, but this team, when you look at it in comparison to last year, big picture, I don't think that they're worse. Um, and, and I think one reason why, which is the obvious reason, right, it's the elephant in the room, why this team has any type of issues right now, and it might seem like it's worse than it really is because of the offensive woes, the inconsistencies, not being able to take that next step forward. And if anything, uh, the offense maybe taking steps back this year in comparison to last year. So I think being able to work on yourself, being able to correct those things, being able to try to find things out. I understand you know, Shane was asked a question last night if he thinks the offense is too complex. Um, and it's not saying that I, I think he's lying when he says that. Um, but I do think that it is complex in terms of how people are, are playing. And the biggest thing that I keep going back to is if guys aren't playing fast, that means they're thinking more when they're on the field. Um, if they're not thinking as much and they can just go out there and react, they feel more comfortable with it. So I think that is one of the issues. And I think that is what's been holding this offense back more than anything. It's just that it doesn't seem like they're comfortable running the type of offense that they've been running so far this year. I, I could not agree more, man. I, I was on uh, JB and Goldwater today. I know you do their show quite a bit as well. Uh, and they asked me the same thing. They said, you know, respond to what Shane Beamer said. And my thought process was, maybe in a vacuum, um, how complex an offense is, is, is sort of a, it's a moving answer. Like mm-hmm. if, if you have a bunch of second and third year guys who have all played in this offense for, for a few years and they're just extremely comfortable in it and they're all executing at a high level, the same exact offense, the same exact approach, you may say, no, it's not too complicated. It's not too complex. But I think people, because, you know, Beamer's response was, well, how would anybody know if they're not in the building, basically? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because of what we've all seen. It's because of how they have performed. When you have guys, uh, especially early in the year, man, guys not being able to get lined up correctly, the play's not getting in fast enough. They, they have got them in quicker as the year has gone on, I think. But still, guys running into each other, guys turning uh, defenders loose uh, as far as in pass pro because they don't know exactly – who is supposed to be blocking a certain guy. Um, it, it, I think it's it's not necessarily anybody saying that they specifically know exactly what South Carolina's playbook looks like or exactly what concept they're running on every single play. It's mm-hmm. more just a matter of watching eight games worth of football and seeing – I mean, I, I keep using the same word you use, man. Uh, they just don't look comfortable yet. And I think you would – if you're a Carolina fan out there, you were probably hoping there was going to be that point this year where you just started to see it kind of click. And then maybe you explain away some of the early stuff by saying, hey, they were just in a new scheme, but they're making progress. I think the fan frustration right now, Mike, is that it's that graphic. It's that picture you posted. Yeah. When they see six yards with two minutes and change left in the third quarter, um, they're just not seeing the progress. And I feel like it's a it's an ongoing, it's a broken record at, at, at some point that we're still talking about the offense. But that's why the fans are so frustrated is they don't they show up on Saturday and they're just not feeling like they're seeing the progress on the offensive side of the ball, man. 
And I think of two things in particular when I hear Shane talk about, you know, not being as complex as the narrative is out there to be. Um, one, you know, I mean, shoot, I've, I've been around this game my entire life. I know that a coach is never going to come out and, and come out and say something that's going to be so direct like that, right? Um, to make a type of comparison, we'll use Satterfield, for example. Earlier in the year, I asked him a question, which I knew I wasn't going to get the answer um, directly for, and it's not calling him a liar or Shane a liar or anything like that, but the point being is I asked him, I said, you know, Coach, when you're coming out into these games, are you guys seeing different things in terms of the fronts, right? Are, are they throwing things at you that maybe you're not necessarily preparing for in practice? And even though he didn't answer it directly this way, he did say, you know, sometimes there's a lot of things going on pre-snap that we just weren't, you know, he didn't say we're prepared for because their coach is never going to come out and say we're not prepared for that. They're never going to come out and say that. So I, I do think there are some things that, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you're always going to try to protect your players. Um, but I do feel like this extra week, what can you do? Well, we know that they're not going to throw the entire offensive philosophy. You're just not going to do that. You don't have enough time. It's only a week that you have extra uh, before getting ready for Florida. But what do you do? What you do do, you're going back to the initial question that you asked me when we started things off, which is what do you do during that bye week? Well, the thing that you're going to do is you're going to go back to the basics. You're going to do everything you can to be able to figure out what is holding you back, not just from an offensive standpoint, but defensively, special teams, and then just big picture as well. And you're going to try to simplify certain things. And I know that's a word that we're using now. And I know it's ironic because you're talking about complex with the offense or how complex it is, but even if it wasn't, um, you try to find ways to be able to simplify things because during the season, I mean, it's chaotic um, and you want to be able to try to slow things down a little bit and have that extra week to be able to prepare when you're just focusing on yourself, you're able to do it too. I mean, just think of it this way, right? You know, sometimes you just need me time, right? As a person, what happens? You slow down, you sit down, you're able to sit on the couch a little bit, you're able to process things a little bit. It's the same way in football. Having this bye week, you're able to kind of take a step back, slow down, and the game slows down for you. So hopefully, not just from an offensive standpoint, but for the defensive hiccups that they've had over the last couple of weeks, because even though they have looked good at times, they're able to make some corrections as well going into this Florida game. Yeah, and uh, obviously, bye week, I think, came at a great time for them, Mike, as far as just uh, trying to get healthy. Uh, you know, the injury report yesterday, uh, fairly positive from a South Carolina standpoint. does look like Rick Sandage is probably – um, out for the year at this point. But uh, for the most part, uh, fairly good injury report for South Carolina. Uh, Jalen Dickerson out this Saturday more than likely or doubtful, um, you, you would say. But So it came at a good time as far as that goes. Let, let's go to the defensive side, man. You mentioned it. I, I think – and here's the thing. The defense by, by no means has been, like, perfect. But I, I think the fans give them – I don't mean to say a pass because that's probably too negative as well. I think the fans see progress and they see, look, mm -hmm. you know, that they, they lost uh, your boy J.C. Horn. They lost Izzy McQuamu. They lost some really talented guys. Ernest Jones has his first pick in the NFL on Sunday. They lost some really talented guys. But as a group, I would say they've played better defensively this year than they did last year. So fans are seeing that improvement. Now, that said, if we're being fair, um, they have when they face some pretty good running games, they've had issues consistently stopping the run. And I, I think as we sort of move the conversation forward from the bye week into the final four games and certainly into this game against Florida, man, you know, Florida has had their issues. Like they really have. They've they've yeah. turned the football over. They've uh they've they've been a high highly penalized team, much like South Carolina. But they've been able to run the football, man. I think 
you start looking at this game from a matchup standpoint and just a South Carolina big picture, what do they need to improve on defensively standpoint? The running game, like the run defense versus Florida's rushing offense is the thing that's probably just got a big flashing light for you this week where if you're sitting in the offices at the long facility, you're saying, man, we got to find a way to fix some of the issues defensively and make Florida work for their rushing yardage this week. And not just that, but the fact that Florida has a quarterback that's a dual threat guy that can be able to use his feet and be able to get outside the pocket. And, you know, I'm trying to think back to this season. I mean, some of the guys in South Carolina has played um, from a, from a scramble standpoint, this might be the, the most athletic quarterback they've seen that can be able to do the things that uh, he is able to do. So, you know, I, I say all that because what that also puts pressure on, it puts pressure on the defensive backs. And as a unit, the defensive backs going into this season, there's obviously there were a lot of questions because a lot of these guys either transferred in or maybe they just didn't have that experience of playing SEC football. But now you've got to a point where you've played eight games, you're coming off a bye week, you have the back half of your schedule. You're going to have to step up. But now you're going to be asked to do things that you haven't really had to do as much uh, this season. And that's not saying that every quarterback they've played has been a pocket passer. I know that. But when you look at the skill set that this quarterback has for Florida in particular, it's just a little bit different. Um, the pressure that puts on you as a defensive back is you have to be able to latch onto your receiver, do you know, with, uh, with, with scramble rules, you got to make sure you're doing your one eleven. from a defensive uh, front standpoint, being able to put pressure on the quarterback, you got to do everything you can to be able to contain him. So the challenge is when you face a quarterback like this, you're thinking so much like, okay, we got to make sure we keep him in the pocket, keep him in the pocket. But what that does sometimes too, is that softens the middle of the defensive line of being able to run the football between the tackles. So, I would not be shocked if Florida Doves have success early on uh, between the tackles and to see if South Carolina can make any type of adjustment to it because this is going to be – I mean, football is obviously a game of chess, but this game in particular, particularly on Saturday, will be a game of chess and just seeing the type of adjustments that South Carolina is able to make and what type of adjustments Dan Mullen and the boys from Florida make as well as the game goes on. Yeah, and uh, Florida kind of struggling right now, man. They're dealing. They're in that point of the season where they're dealing with a lot of negativity around the program. Yeah. Uh, have, have What's not, that have, like? What's that like? You, <laughs> I know, right? Are we, are we used to that in Columbia? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of been a fact of life the last uh, last few years around here, man. But they're it, it's turned up over there, dude. And they're they're de- defensively they they've struggled. Todd Grantham, uh, rumor is he you know if he doesn't fix it the last four games. Maybe even if he does, he may be out. So, you know what? I, I think, Mike, the, the interesting thing about this game is going to be how much does Florida still really care? Like, how how dialed in are they? How, how much of the negativity is just outside of the building versus how much of it has started to maybe permeate? When, when you're at a place like that, your expectations are are a good bit higher than what they are at South Carolina right now. To me, that's... I don't know if you saw this article I read today, man, on The Athletic. You've got you've got SEC coaches anonymously saying Florida is soft. And the, the last thing any coach ever wants to hear regarding their guys is the word soft. So I, I don't know, man. Like I think um it, it's kind of it's South Carolina is is a huge underdog. And on paper, that that's fair. Um I don't go. I don't go into this game looking at it sort of like A and M 
two weeks ago where I was just like, I, I don't really see any way South Carolina keeps yeah. this game close. At home, Florida's sort of reeling. This is one of those that it wouldn't shock me if it got into the second half and Carolina was still able to hang around. No, and I, and I think the other thing, too, is, you know, Wes, you talk about, obviously, the how it's not all sunshine and rainbows right now in Gainesville. Columbia knows what that's like. And even though they're four and four, even though South Carolina is four and four and the world's not falling down quite yet, you know, the sky's falling down, the world's not coming to an end. If you're USC, you have an extra week to get ready. Would anyone be shocked to see USC come out early, whether it be the first drive of the game, second drive of the game, do some type of trick play to not only get that energy back into that offense, but to get the energy back into the crowd. This is a crowd that, uh, from a fan base standpoint, has took some hits over the last couple of seasons. We we know that. I mean, going back to that Outback Bowl win, Jake Bentley's phenomenal comeback against Michigan, since then, it has just been a uh, it's just been a mess. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's just been a mess. There's no so the point being is you need to try to find a way, especially with how the season has gone from an offensive standpoint, to be able to get the fan base back into it. And if you can do something early on whether it is some type of trick play, whether it's, you know, being able to have some type of big explosive play to get the energy in that crowd, that's going to be huge uh, because we know the difference Williams Bryce has when you do um, have people on your feet, on their feet, and they're able to bring a, bring another element of, of bringing a 12th man. Sorry, I can't really think here as this train goes by. Um, but, you know, being able to have that energy inside the crowd with the crowd inside that stadium, I think can make a big difference because if it's quiet, I mean, shoot, the home field advantage goes right out the window. Um, Do I expect there to be a good crowd? I do. I do expect there to be a good crowd. It's a night game. I know we've gone back and forth on it. It's ironic, right? To hear some people say now, like, Oh, we're getting all these night games now. Well, it wasn't (laughs) too long ago. I mean, shoot, go back to last season. You can go back more so the year before, because obviously COVID kind of put a damper in a lot of things with the tailgatings and whatnot. But, People were complaining that there were too many noon games. Now I hear people want noon games. I mean, you have a night game. And by the way, and I have not put this out there yet, little uh, little heads up to all our listeners right now. Uh, Steven Garcia is going to be in town for the game this week. So um, maybe, maybe Garcia will be able to have a talk with some of those quarterbacks. I don't know. Um, but I do know that he likes to go over to the building when he does come in and, you know, sometimes be able to, you know, speak to them and, um, you know, say what you will about the guy. But at the same time, too, he's, he's arguably one of the best quarterbacks in Gamecock history. So, um, you know, any type of insight that he can be able to provide those guys and be able to help them out um, is huge. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Steven Garcia is coming through those doors. It doesn't matter if, if Connor Shaw is talking to those guys 24-7. they got to be able to execute on the field. And I think that is the frustrating part because from an offensive standpoint, we can sit here and talk about Marcus Satterfield. I understand that. I understand the frustration. But at the end of the day, what the playbook is, is the playbook. And they got to find a way to be able to execute it on the field. And I don't care what the type of calls are. Eight, seventh game into the year, only having 15 yards after three quarters against Texas A&M, that's inexcusable. I mean, TikTok Tech could probably have scored, uh, not scored, at least you know provided a little bit more offensive yardage than what South Carolina did through three quarters. It was just awful. And they know that. Uh, we don't need to beat a dead horse, but you got to be able to find a way now to be able to bounce back and get that mojo going and be able to get that confidence back against Florida inside your own stadium. Look, speaking of quarterbacks, man, are you are you buying that Zeb is still potentially going to start on Saturday, or, or do you do you think this is Jason Brown's chance to to go play? I, I'm not saying 
Zeb isn't going to be, quote, available. But to me, there's a huge difference in Zeb Nolan is available by Saturday versus being available enough, you know, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, when the bulk of your practice is going on to actually go prepare. You're, you're really talking about Jason yeah. Brown having an opportunity to have – I mean, they practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday last week. You know, he's taking first-team reps then, get a bunch of first-team reps this week. I, I think we're in sort of the, the coach speak uh, side of this thing right now. I think Zeb's probably available. My, I'm, I'm anticipating that fans get to see Jason Brown get his chance to go start, man. If the circumstances were the way they were going into week one, I would say that Zeb would have a good shot to be able to start. The reason I say that is based on everything that we've been told, whether it be in press conferences, whether it be from people that are close to the program, Jason Brown was struggling to be able to pick up the playbook early on. Mm -hmm. He's been able to buckle down. And as we know, and it's not just on show, it's not just for show on social media. The guy has been bought in from day one. He's been a tremendous team player from everything that we've been told and he's been committed. Well, now, it's funny how football works, right? A couple of weeks go in, two quarterbacks go down, and now it's your opportunity to be able to step up. So with that being said, I feel like the coaches have more confidence in him with his knowledge of the playbook and his understanding of the playbook. So I feel like that makes them feel better to be able to give them give him the keys to the offense. Um, plus, I, I just don't think, you know, because I, I just don't think Zeb is done for the year um, in order to be able to start. And the reason I say that is, Jason Brown goes out there and God forbid he struggles. Now what? Um, you know, that's not to say you, can, you might not see Colton Gothier because you might see Colton. But I, I think that based on how Jason performs, not just this week, but of course next week on the road against Missouri will dictate heavily as to what South Carolina will do with the final two games of the year. I understand from a fan perspective why you would want to see quarterbacks outside of Zeb Nolan, uh, because you're talking about the future. You want to be able to get guys in there that, will be on your roster most likely next year, unless if anyone decided to enter the transfer portal. I still think Luke Doty will be the starting quarterback going into the 2022 season. I still think that South Carolina will go heavy um, at the transfer portal to see if they can bring any type of quarterback in. Um, but I also think, too, that a guy like Jason Brown will be back next season. Uh, he'll have that extra year of eligibility and can provide depth. And I think more than anything, how this kind of plays out for him this season, the way this season ends, will determine whether or not he wants to come back, but also will show him like, hey, you know what? I'm only one play away. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was the third quarterback going into, well, going going into week one, right? And now he has an opportunity most likely to start. So uh, I say all this kind of stuff because, yes, I do believe uh, Jason Brown will be the guy going into this weekend's game, but I also think that this will have a lot to do with his future, not with the, just the program, but how South Carolina just evaluates that position moving forward because that's a position that they definitely need depth at. They need to be, have a guys that can, can push people, and um, that's not to say Colton Gothier can't take a big jump from year one to year two, but, you know, I know people don't like hearing the C word, but, I mean, that's what Clemson has been able to do over the last couple seasons, you know, being able to cover them. They've always had quarterbacks, you know, outside maybe of this season that has really pushed the guy in front of them and it's become kind of a factory over there. That's what you need to get back into doing. That's what South Carolina was really good at in that true, that early 2010 period because they had two guys that were really pushing each other, and they had guys that were ready in the wings. You need to be able to find a way to be able to get that position to be more competitive than it's been in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that, that's a position, man. You, just, you need information. You need to find out um, with an opportunity to go be the guy what do you have in Jason Brown? And, and you, yep. you know, I think that, that's an excellent point, man, that Jason Brown 
We'll find out where he sort of fits in here. And he's going to see either A, wow, I can go play at this level. Like, I, I am as good as I think I am. Like, I, I can maybe start here at some point in the future. Or he's going to go out there and say, maybe maybe this isn't for me. You know, I think just to actually get to go see the opportunity, Beamer keeps calling him a gamer. Um, with quarterbacks, it's just like in the NFL, man. You, you always want information. You want to find out. You want guys to have their chance, and you find out, hey, either A, in the NFL, you're saying this is the guy I can build around, or you're saying I- I'm going to keep looking. College, you're always looking. You're always trying to upgrade, but you need to find out um, where does Jason Brown fit um, in the future of this program, both from a Carolina perspective and, frankly, you know, from, from Jason Brown's perspective as well, man. So that'll be interesting, by the way. Uh, as you said, he does have – it's a common question from people. He does have one more year if he yes. wants it. Um, EJ Jenkins has one more year if he wants it. People were asking about Rick Sandage. So Rick is listed as a senior, but he is he never redshirted, and he hasn't played at all this year. So Rick, although he's listed as a senior, would have had another year from COVID anyway. So technically he's a junior, and he would count this year as a redshirt. So Rick Sandage, even though if you looked on the roster, he's a senior, Rick has two more years um, of college eligibility if he wants it. So that, that allows him time to, to get back in there. And Wes, I want to mention something because it obviously can create a popsicle headache, but I think it's, it's a good point that you just brought up because with this whole COVID year, right, you have great, you can get gray shirt, you can get red shirt, and there's all these different possibilities. You can get a gray shirt with injuries and this and that. And now that the new rule the NF the, the NCAA put a couple of years ago, which is you can play four games and still maintain your uh, year of eligibility by having a red shirt, that's still out there. So, you know, with last season, and obviously guys that played at South Carolina doesn't really impact them too much, but if you have guys like I know for Collins Patel, for example, right? Even though he didn't play at all last season because Assumption didn't have a season, this is his last year of eligibility. Because he, he played as a freshman at Assumption, sophomore, junior year. Didn't play at all senior year at Assumption. And then now, obviously, it's his grad year. So uh, guys like that, I use that as an example. So the guys that have transferred in, just keep that in mind. Um, some of those guys might have a year of eligibility left for next season, but maybe you thought they had two years based on when they came in. So um, not to create a pop school headache, but that is just something to keep in mind that um, it is going to be kind of wonky, not just this year, but going into next year until we're able to kind of get back into the swing of things because with this extra year of eligibility for some of these players, especially the ones that have transferred in, you start wondering, okay, wait a minute, how many year, how many years do they actually play? Do they play their freshman year? Do they not play their freshman year? So just because of last season, the bottom line is this. Here's the best way to describe it. If you played last year or if you didn't play last year, Carlin's Patel, a lot of these Division II programs, Division II didn't even have football last year, okay? Those guys, just like the guys that played a full season, last season in Division One, it all counts as the same. It never happened on paper, essentially. I mean, obviously the records do, but um, in terms of just the year of eligibility, never happened. Yeah, and no, great point, man. And I, I think it, it's a little bit even more confusing because I've noticed <laughs> like the, the SEC schools like South Carolina, they're, they're still putting on the rosters, uh, the official roster, like Rick Sandage, it yeah. says he's a senior. Now, yep. I've seen – and I saw a little note in the notes that, that Steve Fink puts out um, that basically the SEC schools are doing that. That's just how they've decided to do it. Other conferences I've noticed I, – I noticed this when South Carolina was playing Troy. They, they're they putting their official roster as if last year, you know, how it actually is, that it didn't happen. So, yep. even if you're looking across different 
Like if there's a guy that enters the transfer portal and you pull up his bio and you're like, how many years does this guy have left? You actually have to dive in and, and go back and look, okay, are they counting last year or not in how they're listing him? Uh, so yeah. it, it's going to be, for the next few years, going to be very confusing. South Carolina does, of course, have some guys who are like, – like Nick Muse, he's, he's got to be done this year regardless because he is already using his extra year. Um, so that, that's something that the rosters across college football are going to be a little bit just weird uh, really for the next In few West. years. And Wes, too, and I know you do obviously a phenomenal job. You and Chris do a phenomenal job with recruiting. That is something that I can't even imagine the headaches that you guys are dealing with because I can tell you from talking to a lot of these coaches, it's created a lot of strain on them because, you know, when you try to plan it out, right, if anyone's played the old NCAA football games and you start seeing the spreadsheets and you're like, all right, this is how many players I have for the junior class or sophomore class, it's very similar to how they do it in real life with college. But the challenging part now is, you start looking ahead, you're like, all right, I have this many scholarships to offer, but this is how many guys I have most likely coming back for this position and this and that. And uh, it does create a popsicle headache. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily this is what Shane does, but a lot of coaches across the country, what they do, and this has happened way well before the whole COVID situation, that they'll kind of basically push a player out. You know what I mean? They're like, hey, you know, that scholarship will still be there, but we can't promise you a lot of playing time. And what will happen is players will naturally go on their own to be able to enter the transfer portal or leave, or they just might decide, okay, football is done for me. I know that happens a lot in college basketball, especially at smaller schools when a new coach comes in. Uh, but just keep that in mind because if you do see a lot of players enter the transfer portal this year, or you see a lot of guys that you know aren't coming back that do have years of eligibility, I'm not saying Beamer saying that to them, but that stuff tends to happen sometimes and that can free up a lot of spots. So, uh, I would not be shocked again if South Carolina has a lot of availability to be able to add roster spots after this season. Yeah, so don't don't panic if you're a fan and you see that. I think that's yeah. kind of a natural part of the process. And I, I feel yeah. like, Mike, when, when you have a new staff, you always have that, like, initial – we already saw it, you know, last offseason. You have that initial deal where guys leave. Then you have this maybe section of guys that say, you know what, I, I'm going to give the new staff a chance. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to see what happens, but then, oh man, I'm, I'm really not playing. I thought I might yeah. play, but I'm not. So then it just sort of got shifted a year. Plus the, plus the portal, it being so prevalent these days, plus the fact mm-hmm. that you might have an extra year you didn't have otherwise. Um, there's going to be crazy roster movement everywhere. Um, Luckily, there'll be some good walk on. There'll be some good walk on opportunities because if anything, with what's going on with the COVID, with the, I keep calling it the COVID year, the COVID year of eligibility, and then also with the transfer portal, it really is hurting a lot of the guys. And I know you could probably talk about it better than I can. It's really hurting the guys that aren't necessarily five and four stars, but your three stars, your two stars, the guys that you know would have that preferred walk on opportunity because the roster spots are all it's all a mess right now. Um, so it's really impacting a lot of talented high school football players. So I say all that because, look, I understand seeing four stars and five stars and being able to be ranked in this part of, um, you know, uh, for rankings for when it comes to recruiting. I, I understand how important that is to fans. But don't be shocked. Don't be shocked, not just South Carolina, but that's obviously who we care about right now. Don't be shocked for Shane Beamer to go out and find some talented players, whether it be three stars or two stars, that come in here and make a huge impact just because the way things are, you're not going to be able to make the same amount of scholarship offered to the five and four stars, obviously, uh, but you're not going to be able to have that many players left out there. There's going to be a lot of talented – point being is kind of like free agency. 
there's going to be a lot of talented players that are going to be out there that aren't getting scholarships offers across the country. And I would not be shocked for Shane, especially with the homework that he's done in South Carolina in particular, for him to bring in a lot of talented players and for them to be able to step up and kind of be like, you know, two, three years from now, be like, whoa, who the hell was that guy that we brought in? Yeah, and, and luckily there's going to be a new rule in place where up to seven guys that transfer out, you can replace them with guys coming in. So that's going to help, I think, mm-hmm. everybody and helps a lot of those high school kids you're talking about. They, they had to do that because you're, you've got high school kids who may have gotten scholarship opportunities before. Maybe that scholarship goes away because the transfer portal, if everybody was still with these super limited numbers. I think, I, you know, we, we always, a lot of people give the NCAA um, hell a lot of times, but let, let's be honest, um, that was a pretty good move. We'll give them credit where it's due on that. Uh, Mike, final thing here, man. South Carolina, Florida on Saturday, we're still the early stages of diving into it. Is there one thing in particular uh, that you're most interested to learn this week uh, about the Gamecocks, either just throughout the week or going into that game on Saturday? Yeah, I think more so going into that game. I mean, one thing in particular, I want to see how Kevin Harris is looking. I, I, I don't think I don't think, and it's not necessarily from a 100% physical standpoint. I think sometimes it's mental. I mean, you come back from a back injury or a guy like Marshawn Loin coming back from an ACL injury, I, I think it's clear that those guys just have not been themselves this season. We can talk about scheme. We can talk about X's and O's. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're a talented player, you're going to be able to find a way to be able to break some of those runs. They just haven't been able to do yet that yet. And I think the reason being is they're just not themselves yet. I think mentally you come back, especially a lower body injury, you know, uh, the way that you compensate that when you make cuts, you're thinking about it. So I'm interested to see if they can start to look like themselves, probably more so Marshawn, uh, excuse me, more, more so Kevin. Cause I think with Marshawn, that injury, I think that can sometimes linger an extra year. Um, and I'm also interested to see how they use a guy like Zaquandre white coming off the bye week and how they're able to get him incorporated. I know a lot of people want to see EJ Jenkins out there and if they're able to use him more, that's great. But I think the guy that I'm most most interested to see how they use more is going to be white. Cause we've seen white, especially after going basically a month MIA from being able to run the football, what he was able to do just in, in, in sparks. Now, obviously a Texas A&M game. I mean, you can't really say anything about any player because it was just an absolute mess, but in that Vanderbilt game, we were able to see him step up and that was great. And a guy obviously like, you know, uh, Xavier Leggett coming back from that motorcycle injury. I thought he did a lot of good things against Vanderbilt. And I think he is a guy that you are going to need, uh, whether or not Jalen Brooks uh, does come back these next couple of weeks or not. I think you're going to need another receiver to step up because if not, it's going to become very similar to what we saw a couple of years ago, or I should say a year ago with Shai Smith, where mm-hmm. you just put a- added attention to him. You bring an extra guy down the box and you're basically telling South Carolina, look, we're taking your top receiver away. We're not going to let you run the football and you're going to have to throw the football to someone else if you want to have success. And if South Carolina is put in a situation like that, you're going to need a receiver other than um, uh, uh, other than um, Josh Van here. Josh Van. Yeah, I'm coming back. I'm on my uh, my, my playing time schedule here. Uh, other than Van to be able to step up. And I think Leggett can be that guy, even if Brooks does come back, because I just really like the way Leggett played in that Vanderbilt game. Yeah, he's done some good things, man. And, dude, you've seen him. If, when you see that kid up close, y'all, I mean, he looks the part. Like, He's he honestly is physically one of the best looking kids on that roster, in my opinion. So Leggett's always been a guy, Mike, that I, I've sort of been you just watch and you're waiting on that light bulb just to sort of uh to click on and 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 maybe that's happening. He's getting an opportunity here to go play. We'll certainly be watching him down the stretch. Mike, 
Uh, we appreciate it as always, man. Of course, y'all can check out Mike's stuff, GamecockCentral.com, at Mike underscore Yuva. Uh, good luck on the rest of the trip, man. Hope, uh, you know, hopefully you uh, got to spend some time with some family. Uh, condolences to you and your football family for y'all's loss, man. And uh, we'll that, see man. you soon, okay, man? Thank you, brother. All right, man, it's Mike Yuva, our good friend. Uh, go check him out. Now on GamecockCentral.com, so you can see him on Twitter and on GC. That's going to about do it for today's show, y'all. Again, this show is brought to you by our good friend, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. And tell you what, man, great stuff from, from Colin, great stuff from Mike. And hold on, I got to tell you all about Dead Soxy. Check them out. You can get 25% off your order with the code Kaki. Uh, go to DeadSoxy.com. And uh, you can get, as Chris says, the buttery soft fill on some excellent socks. You got some Gamecock socks, or if you want to just go with other colors, you got those as well, as you see on your screen right there. Go to deadsoxy.com. Use the code COCKY to uh, get your 25% off your order. Always want to find a way to save you guys some money. Uh, hang tight uh, for tomorrow's show. Uh, Chris Clark will be back on air for that. And I'm, I'm working on there, – there's a concert coming up. I don't know if y'all are Corey Smith fans. Um, I actually like Corey Smith a lot. I saw him quite a few times when I was in college. A good local artist, uh, somewhat local, Southeast artist, I, I should say. Corey's from Georgia. I'm working on getting y'all some tickets uh, that I'm going to give away at some point this week. So hopefully I can get that finalized. But if I do, uh, I'll figure out a way to give those away to y'all here on the show later on this week. He's coming to Segra Park. So, um, yeah. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate the support. Appreciate y'all watching. Uh, Jamie says he loves some Corey Smith. I, I'm a big Corey Smith fan too, dude. So um, hopefully I can get that finalized. I believe it is finalized, but you don't want to say for sure. Later on this week, I'll, I'll give away a couple of tickets to one of our lucky folks. Um, all right, y'all. For everybody, for Colin, for Mike, for Chris, who will be back. Uh, appreciate y'all, and uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>